0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, cleanse my heart and my lips, Almighty God, that I may proclaim your gospel worthily. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. A feeling of expectancy had grown among the people who were beginning to think that John might be the Christ. So John declared before them all, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming, someone who is more powerful than I am, and I am not fit to undo the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, when all the people had been baptized, and while Jesus, after his own baptism, was at prayer, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily shape like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my son, beloved. My favour rests on you. The Gospel of the Lord The muddy yet calm waters of the River Jordan would have posed little threat to the crowds which gathered there to listen to this prophetic figure, with some acceding to be baptised by him after listening to his message of repentance, the contrast of this rustic scene dominated by water with what many experienced a few weeks ago is stark. A week before Christmas, torrential downpours resulted in unprecedented floods leaving a massive trail of destruction, over 70,000 persons displaced, and casualties. The flood did not just destroy the personal belongings of the victims and deprive them of their homes and livelihood, but also cut them off from basic necessities like food and electricity and, ironically, a clean supply of water. Water is arguably the most important natural resource in the entire world. All life depends on it. On the other hand, water may be a terrifying life-changing force when it comes in the form of hurricanes, floods, or tsunamis. Because of its universal nature, it is not surprising that water plays a central role in the Bible as well. The story of creation in the book of Genesis is preceded by an editorial note on how the pre-creation cosmos was covered by a watery chaos. One of God's primary works in creation was to set boundaries and limit the destructive power of water. It is not surprising that man's rebellion against God's authority by sinning would be reflected in the great deluge that would destroy the entire world. The floods are just a natural outcome of man's seeking to go beyond the limits and boundaries set by God. In contrast to this chaotic and destructive side of water, The book of Exodus gives us that foundational story of the liberation of the Hebrews from slavery in Egypt when they crossed the Red Sea. The waters, although proving destructive to the Egyptians, also served to be the instrument of salvation for those favored by God as they embarked on their journey to freedom and a newfound covenantal identity with God. The juxtaposition of these two experiences of water reminds us that water can be both life-giving and destructive, and there is no better place to find these two elements together than in the sacrament of baptism. This was excellently expounded by Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI in the first volume of his monumental work, Jesus of Nazareth. On the one hand, immersion into the waters is a symbol of death, which recalls the death symbolism of the annihilating, destructive power of the ocean flood. The ancient mind perceived the ocean as a permanent threat to the cosmos, to the earth. It was the primeval flood that might submerge all life. But the flowing waters of the river are above all a symbol of life. Just like water can be both life-giving and death-dealing, baptism has a similar effect on us. It kills original sin, and it gives us new life. Life of being adopted sons and daughters of God. But here also lies the problem with Christ seeking baptism. If Christ is truly sinless, if he is the Son of God, he is in no need of baptism because he has no need for repentance nor adoption. But the Lord chose to submit Himself to John's baptism as an expression of His fundamental submission to the will of the Father and His complete identification of sinners. By submersion in the waters of Jordan, our Lord publicly associated Himself with those who need repentance and forgiveness, although He has no need of it in actuality. He is already embracing the enormous weight of humanity's sinfulness, just as he would do again in a definitive and final way on the cross. The mysterious events at the Jordan River already foreshadow the saving acts of Christ's death and resurrection. The submersion of Jesus in the baptismal waters of the Jordan River prefigures his death on the cross. Pope Benedict notes that the icons of the Eastern Church visualize this intrinsic connection between the baptism of the Lord and the Paschal mystery by depicting the waters of Jordan as a liquid tomb having the form of a dark cavern, which is in turn the iconographic sign of Hades, the underworld or hell. Just as the Lord descends into the swirling waters of death at his baptism, he goes down to the netherworld after his crucifixion to rescue the souls of lost humanity. In this downward descent, this complete identification of sinners, we grasp the radical humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who empties himself, not clinging to his equality with God, but becoming a slave for the sake of our salvation. God could have saved us in any manner that he chose, but he seems to embrace the most difficult and arduous way, the path of carnation and accompaniment to the cross. Christianity is the only world religion that believes the omnipotent and mysterious God humbled himself to become one of his own creatures, embracing the fullness of our humanity in order to redeem us from inside our own nature and condition. The Church has never gotten over the wonder of this divine condescension. We celebrate the Word made flesh, not only in the glory of Christmas, but in the fullness of the liturgy, prayer, and moral life of the Christian tradition. Drawing profound parallels between the Lord's baptism and our own, we can see that just as the Lord Jesus is revealed as the Beloved Son at the Jordan, so too we receive a new identity in baptism as adopted children of the Father. Jesus Christ freely shares his very nature with us through the transforming waters of baptism. At the moment of our spiritual rebirth in a font, the Father beholds us with delight, exclaiming, You are my son, you are my daughter, the Beloved, my favour rests on you. Christianity, first and foremost, is about whom we have become in Christ. Before, it is about what we do, or how we act. Just as our common baptism draws us into the very life of being sons and daughters of God, our ordination as priests draws us into the paschal experience of Christ. We too are called to experience death and new life each day. And this is what Father Dominican and I must do tomorrow. We are called to die to our attachments, to the parish of Call Home these past few years so that we may experience a rebirth in the new parishes where we will be posted this coming Monday. As you await your new pastors, I can't help but see the parallel with today's gospel passage, which began with this observation by the evangelists. A feeling of expectancy had grown among the people. As John the Baptist's ministry ends with his arrest and Christ is trust to the fore, Both of us, too, must also take our leave, as your new pastors take up responsibilities of shepherding, sanctifying, and teaching the flock that has been entrusted to them. Never forget this, the priest, the figure who stands in persona Christi, in the person of Christ, may change, but it is the same Christ who remains, for he is the same, yesterday, today and forever. He should be your real focus because he is the one whom the heavenly father speaks these words you are my son the beloved my favor rests on you turn to him in prayer turn to him in hope and in trust and you will never go astray in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen